One thing that's fun about this episode is that it is a part of an unofficial sub-series called the Darcy series. If you've been listening for a while, you have heard Darcy's name often. Darcy was my second guest in the healing series, and her story has continued to come up not just in conversation, but in connections. In the series finale, someone who was encouraged by Darcy's story, Melinda, shared that through a voicemail and soon after became a guest herself. And today we have another special guest, Darcy's husband, Mark. There's been this interesting thread through this Sitting and Suffering series around this idea of the caregiver, the person who doesn't necessarily have to engage in the suffering but chooses to remain, and what that journey looks like. If you haven't heard Darcy's story of how the suffering brought on by her disability actually led her to know God in a deeper way, you should listen to her episode. It's a fantastic companion to this conversation with Mark. I'm so grateful for his transparency and humility because I believe his journey can be an encouragement to you as you seek to love others. You're listening to episode 128 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I thank you that your power extends over technology issues, that you can make things happen. And we really believe that you want to do something here in this space. We give it to you. We give you our thoughts and our words. We pray that you would guide this conversation. There's a lot of directions you could take things, but we want to go in the direction that brings you the most glory and shows others just how loving and powerful you are. So we give it to you. I pray for Mark as he shares. And in all this, just pray that you are glorified, but also we thank you in advance for how we believe you are going to work. I just pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. I'm excited about this episode because this is a unique one in that I don't know if I've ever had someone as a guest who is sharing their version of a story that's already been shared (laughs) on a podcast. Mm -hmm. And so this is going to be fun. This is going to be unique. But before we jump in, what would you want people to know about who you are before we start our conversation? Okay. I actually lived many years of my life as a non-believer. In fact, I became a Christian my senior year in college. So in some ways you could say I did college backwards mm-hmm. because I know a lot of people go to a secular university and start questioning, even losing their faith. I went in there totally not believing in God and came out definitely believing in him mm-hmm. enthusiastically. So sort of a different path for me, mm-hmm. but very much something I, I chose as an adult, really starting from square one and never looked back, never felt like uh, that was a mistake in any sense. Although life as a Christian is challenging and full of ups and downs, I felt like that was the best decision I ever made in my life. Yeah, that's great. One thing that I know about you is that you're Mark Steiner and you're the husband of Darcy Steiner who was a guest in last season of the podcast when I was doing a season focused on the concept of healing. And (laughs) I was thinking about it earlier today, you know, Marvel movies have been in the news lately with Dr. Strange, but one thing Marvel likes to do is throw in these cameos and have these characters pop up in other movies. And Darcy's been like that for the podcast. She just keeps popping up (laughs) in conversation or in connections with guests. And now with you, So it's been really fun to see how her story has not only been relevant often, but has encouraged so many people, including some upcoming guests and upcoming episodes. But what I love about what you bring to the table is that as I've been navigating the season focused on sitting and suffering, there's been this 
theme, this sub theme that has started to pop up more than I would have expected. And it's this idea of what that experience is like, not for the person who has experienced the brunt of the suffering, but the person who is alongside them. Knowing Darcy's story, I know God has probably written some powerful stories for you. So Mark, tell me some stories. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And in fact, along the way, one of the things I noticed as I read stories of healing in the Bible is that very often there was a caregiver involved. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a centurion who had a servant who was sick, and there were parents whose children were sick, and you know, Mary and Martha taking care of Lazarus. Mm-hmm. There's an ongoing theme of people who are sick and injured and suffering, but also how the people around them related to that. One of the things I noticed along the way is that there was a great gift for the caregiver in being involved in a healing. You know, loving this person who was in such dire straits then having an opportunity to watch Jesus heal them and see them be restored. Mm-hmm. I sometimes wonder what they felt in those moments. You know, a lot of times they, I think, were greatly helped in their belief. And honestly, I think in some ways, maybe healed of some of their deep personal or psychological issues, emotional traumas they had as they saw someone else being healed. So I've really experienced that along the way. You know, it's funny that the journey is very different for a caregiver in a lot of ways, even though it's the same journey with the same person, Mm -hmm. but it is different. It's been something that's really changed me in a good way, I think. So I'm I'm really thankful in that sense to have been a part of it. Yeah. You know, one thing that really stood out to me about Darcy's story is that there is this initial moment where she was just struck and was praying for healing. And God provided healing. And so there's the journey there through that and seeing God work. And then what was it like 20 years later, it was reignited and then God didn't heal in the same way. You know, what I could imagine in the midst of that, she felt the sense of God, this isn't fair. Like, I know you can heal. What are you doing? But I imagine that as a caregiver, you could possibly feel the same thing too. It's a sentiment that I've heard a few other people share that have been in similar spaces that it's this sense of, God, why, why are you doing this? Yeah. I love this person. I care for this person, but this is too much for me. How did you navigate that feeling of like, God, this is not fair to me. Why do you keep on thrusting this upon me? Yeah. You know, the one thing I think I always had a deep conviction about is that God has a way of using really horrible things mm. to bring about really awesome things. I don't really recall ever questioning Things I think are normal and, and understandable to question. I, don't, I didn't ever feel like we we're being punished for anything. I never felt like he's not a good God. Mm-hmm. The question for me has been much more, where is the good in this? Mm. You know, where is it? The first time around during the first episode of what happened to her, I really didn't find good answers to that question. Mm -hmm. And even the spiritual people I looked up to, I felt like didn't have very good answers to it. Mm -hmm. I really tried to figure it out for myself. And I came to some conclusions that I think were helpful and meaningful. During that phase, it was a lot more what God might be doing in a big picture way. Because one of the things I noticed again in this biblical stories, and as well as in our story, is that when something like this happens to somebody, it really brings out the truth about the people around them. Mm. It certainly did that about me. It really exposed my selfishness and my impatience and a lot of ways I looked at, you know, what a relationship is in a non-Christ-like way. Mm -hmm. And it did that with people around us too. You know, there were people around us who just ran for the exits, family members, Mm -hmm. you know, who didn't seem to want to engage with what was going on. And then 
acquaintances, neighbors, other people who really just rallied around us unexpectedly and were just amazing in how they gave. So I concluded along the way, you know, God uses these bad things to help us see ourselves and then hopefully from there grow and change and become more Christ-like. Parable of Good Samaritan comes to mind. I mean, there were several people who saw the wounded Samaritan, but only one of them really came to him to really give to him. So, you know, the first time around, those were the lessons I drew from it, mostly just in my own Bible study and my own prayer. Fortunately, at one point when I was on the ropes, because I am every now and then just get to where I'm really struggling with the situation, I went to a pastor of our church and asked him for some help. And he referred me to a psychologist, Mm. which I'd never done before. And I had a lot of hesitation in doing that because, you know, the reasons people do never done it before, kind of felt like in a way that might be a sign of defeat, but I did end up starting to meet with him. And over the 12 years since that first time where Darcy was sick, I've probably talked to him a hundred times now. And he's really helped me find more and more meaning in the journey from my perspective in ways that have just honestly just revolutionized how I see my relationship with Christ and with Darcy and with people in general. But I didn't expect it to happen again. Yeah, She improved for quite a while. And I was thinking that would probably be the way it would be from then on. And then it, it happened again. It, it went deeper the second time. Mm-hmm. We passed some of the ceilings I guess I had in my faith. Because in a lot of ways, the second episode was a lot harder than the first one for both of us. You know, you mentioned this idea of selfishness, which we don't like to admit <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that we could be selfish. But We've all been in that place and even in places that are logical and justifiable. I mean, two people meet, fall in love, decide to get married, and you get this idea in your mind of what life is going to look like now. Yeah. And then something happens to disrupt that. And it can be hard because it's like I kind of saw this life laid out. But even more than that, you're talking about how that can impact a caregiver. It's like this thing didn't even happen to me, but now I have to give of myself so much more than I planned, (laughs) where I have to give up myself and it's indefinite. I don't know if things will ever get to the way that I thought they were going to be. What really struck me is, if we're really honest, that's actually what we are invited to when we're called to love. And that's what we're invited to even when we make our vows is that we're willing to give and love sacrificially for the others. Moments like these can point things out that we don't want to see. And I was just struck by this idea of that selfishness can make us lament how much we have to focus on the other person, but then we can realize, but this is what I've been invited to (laughs) is to not focus on myself, to not live for myself, but to give of myself for others. And this is what Christ has done for us. This is what God constantly does for us. Yeah. What was that like transitioning from this logical understanding of this is how I'm supposed to live and love. And this is what life is supposed to look like to now you are in this space of indefinitely life may look different than what you would have planned, but you know that God is God and God is good in the midst of it. Yeah. I love that question because one of the things that's most important to me that I think I've drawn from this experience, it's been a kind of a step-by-step process of learning what love is and how to be loving. I remember clearly just different stages. You know, there was a stage where I felt like, wow, you know, things have become very uneven. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I remember a marriage retreat years and years ago where they talked about both sides have to make deposits and you make deposits and withdrawals. And if only one is making deposits, you can be in trouble. But once you become a caregiver, very understandably, her strength and attention is so focused on just dealing with this horrendous experience. It's not reasonable to expect her to make a lot of deposits on my end. I do want to say this before I go on with what I started to say is that Darcy's been really amazing through this process. Very kind to me, holds me up a lot and doesn't talk much, if at all, about the ways I've failed. Her graciousness is really a sub theme of everything I'm saying. I really want to make a point of saying that. But in the trenches of fighting this battle with her illness, she couldn't give as much as she'd like to. On the other hand, I'm being called to give more than I want to. So I had to become okay with that. Mm -hmm. I can't keep score. Mm -hmm. I grew accustomed to that, but I I started feeling like for a time, she's not as appreciative as she ought to be. Mm. You know, she doesn't tell me how wonderful I am as much as I think she should. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there was another stage I had to go, am I going to do this regardless? Am I really going to need that in order to continue to help her and, and love her and care for her? That was another stage I went through gradually. And then I think there came a level where it was just, God loves me, not because I love him back equally, not because I appreciate it as I should. He loves me because of who he is. It's just who he is. And I felt like he's calling me to be more and more like that, Mm. to just be a loving person, you know, and to cut the strings and not keep score and not expect things from her, you know, in order to energize my taking care of her. Mm-hmm. Ironically, that's been very freeing to just stop thinking like that. And it's a process and I still fail at it. And it's mm-hmm. a path, not a destination. Yeah. You know, as soon as I start thinking I'm there, I lose it. I feel like to love like Jesus did is inspiring and something I want to imitate. And I need his power to do. And I sometimes do better than other times, but I love the path. It makes sense to me now. Mm -hmm. I see how this is sometimes a daily training in that school of loving. You know, every day is a new lesson. Mm -hmm. I love that you've pressed into this idea of how do we choose to care? How do we choose to be caregivers when we don't know if we have the capacity, when we are longing for more appreciation or recognition? And I, I love that idea of cutting the strings and saying, I've been invited to unconditional love. And so I'm going to step into that. But you've also touched on this other piece, which is a theme that I've heard often from caregivers. And this is caregivers, not just in situations like what you've described, but even somebody that is a caregiver as a profession, Mm -hmm. that they are pouring into others. There's this sentiment of, man, I'm constantly caring for other people, but I need somebody to care for me. Yeah. (laughs) And you're in this situation and you're not living a perfect life. You're not 100% healthy all the time, physically, emotionally, mentally, like you're a person that experiences things. And so how do you navigate that when you need care yourself, but the person that would be the default caregiver for you, is it in a capacity to provide that? Yeah, that's important. Very important. Because again, it set me on this path. I keep thinking of it as a path Mm -hmm. where there's only one who can really meet our needs. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of my life not realizing that. Before I even was a believer, I was really into politics and I was really into humanistic things. And deep down from, I think, a very young age, I felt very unwanted. And that came out in a lot of ways, you know, just seeking approval, seeking, you know, accolades, things like that. 
And I really hoped that marriage is where I was really going to finally find that fulfilled. You know, mm-hmm. you know, going through this experience we've shared, it's done two things. One is I have come to feel very wanted by Darcy more than I think I ever could have imagined. And at the same time, I've realized it's still not enough mm-hmm. and it'll never be enough. And no human being could ever give me that to the level I really wanted. And that's because God created me in such a way that he's the only one. That Jesus is the only one that can really fill that emptiness. Yeah, That's become a real source of strength in those hard times. Because if you demand people meet that need, they'll be hit and miss. Mm-hmm. In the end, they'll never fully hit it. Yeah. They can't. None of us can. I can't. One of the ways that's really helped me, and this counselor really helped me see this. He really helped me understand the Trinity better. Because he helped me see the relationship between Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit is the ultimate relationship of selflessness and giving and understanding how I've been invited to participate with them. That's a source of strength that is always there. It's always enough. Now, I fail at tapping into it pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. And yet there's times when I'm really struggling. And if I remember that either, you know, in one way or another, maybe he reminds me, maybe the spirit whispers to me to remember that, Mm -hmm. that really, 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 really helps me. Yeah. My metaphor for it is it's kind of a holy ground Mm -hmm. through my strength and my commitment. I can go so far to where I can't take another step. I just can't. Mm -hmm. And at that point, he can enable me to take another step, Yeah, you know, to just do another act of service or let go of something I wanted to do instead and just do it graciously, not with a surly attitude, Mm -hmm. which I've done. You know, I've had moments like that. I want to keep emphasizing that because I don't want anyone to think that being a caregiver is just you get to this point where you're just great at it, Mm -hmm. consistently wonderful Because it's just not like that. Despite these things that have helped me, I'm very aware of times where I've not lived up to who I really want to be in that space. Mm -hmm. That in itself, though, is kind of another important part of it. Because like I said before, you you can start thinking you're really terrific. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm this great compassionate person, you know, this caregiver that really loves wonderfully. But you're only as loving as you are in the moment. I mean, I may be now, I may not be an hour from now. I may not be now and I may be in an hour. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But in a way, the humbling of that, I think, is one of the ways God's helped me to get back. I need compassion right now. I'm failing. I'm weak. So he pours his compassion into me and now I have more to give. Then I get full, you know, full of myself and the bubble pops and I fail and he's patiently refills me, brings me back. And that's the walk, really. It's not like you reach a plateau. Maybe some people have done that way better than I have. I'm just telling you, in my experience, I've never reached this wonderful plateau. It's a moment to moment thing. It's a moment to moment relationship with God that is really the key to having the strength to deal with the challenge. Yeah. I mean, what you're pressing into is the reality that we've got to address what our perspectives are, right? Because our default understanding, one, is that, like you said, the more you learn something and do something, the better you get at it. And you could eventually become an expert. The other thing is the more you pour into something, the better that situation should get. So if you find that you've been doing this for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and you're still having days where you get impatient, then you could start to be like, oh man, well, 
I shouldn't be having this kind of reaction anymore. I should be past this. And then we get down ourselves or 10, 20, 30 years. I put a lot of my life into this person's situation. And when's it going to kick back to me? Right. But I love that you made that comment about how you're trying to take these steps. And then you get to a point where you realize I can't take another step. That really stood out to me. And I really wanted to emphasize that because there are moments like that where we no longer have the capacity to take that step, Mm -hmm. whether it's our energy or our knowledge or our desire. Mm -hmm. And yet, because of our call to love, we still need to step. And all of this, the perspective that we're invited to is one that is, you know, the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. So if there are steps that are foolish and there are steps that are impossible, it makes me think of the passage where the person says to Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Well, if you believe, then why are you saying you have unbelief? Well, it's this reality that he was choosing to move forward from a position of believing, even while he still wrestled with unbelief. Yeah. And that's the impossible invitation that caregivers have is when you do not have the capacity, you can step forward because it's not about your capacity. It's about pulling from the capacity of God, the love of God. When you don't have the desire to love because you feel drained and you need care, it doesn't have to be you tapping into some love source within you. It's the ultimate source of love. God is love, being a conduit of his love and loving through that. I love the other piece of perspective. And I pulled up a passage that it made me think of is the perspective of what the purpose of all this is, because this is the thread that's woven throughout what you're sharing that. The purpose of your life, of your marriage, of the invitations God has given you was not so that you could have a comfortable, easy life Mm -hmm. is actually something eternal. Mm -hmm. You know, we could get tripped up because after decades of having to navigate this role as a caregiver, it could be easy for someone to be in that position and say, man, I've lost so much time. I've lost so many good years of marriage where it was supposed to be normal. We have this idea of normalcy and then we try to get back to it. The passage it made me think of is the one where Jesus is speaking and a group of friends, caregivers, bring their friend on the cot to the house to see Jesus. They're trying to figure out how do we get our friend in there? Let's go up to the roof, break the roof apart and drop them in there. So they do that. And this is Luke 5, starting in verse 19. But they could not find a way to take him in because of so many people. They made a hole in the roof over where Jesus stood. Then they let the bed with the sick man on it down before Jesus. And this is the verse right here. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. I love that because that's not what they brought him there for. (laughs) They brought him there to be healed. But Jesus has this eternal mindset. And he's aware of the physical limitations that that person had. But he knows deep down what that person really needed Mm. was a deeper healing. Yep. Now, what's wonderful for this guy is to make a point to the teachers of the law, Jesus ends up saying, so that you may know the son of man has the right and the power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who could not move his body, I say to you, get up, take your bed and go to your home. So he got both things. You know, you're sharing this story where the best case scenario in your mind years ago probably would have been, I'm going to love Darcy well in the midst of this, and then God's going to heal her. And then our lives are going to be normal. We're going to have a normal, happy marriage like we planned. And then meanwhile, God's looking at and saying, That does sound nice, except I'm trying to do something eternal. There are things within you, selfishness and other stuff that you don't recognize right now. There's things within you that you're going to try to hold to your own capacity and still hold on to it when you have none left. And I'm trying to help you to understand my capacity. I'm, I'm trying to give you eternal things, Mark. So walk with me through this. 
in the same way that Jesus recognized that this guy's sins being healed was a far greater thing than his body being healed. When God invites us into the role as caregiver, he may be trying to do a deeper healing than we're even thinking of and aware of. How can we position ourselves to learn to trust God in the midst of that? Yeah. Especially when we're not at the point where we have these revelations. We're like, oh, I see now that God knew what he was doing. The answers that came to me, I don't know if answers are right, were sort of the <laughs> insights that came, again, really came to me through another man, somebody who had been down this road mm. and had suffered a lot himself, this counselor. Mm-hmm. He knew there weren't any cliche answers, any easy answers. I still remember the very first session I ever had with him where I kind of explained the whole situation. He listened patiently and, and he used the same word you use a lot, which I just love. Mm-hmm. He said, you've been invited Mm -hmm. into a really sacred place. I needed somebody who had that kind of wisdom because to that point, nobody had that kind of perspective. I really think the Lord wants us to learn that from each other. I think he wants us to have relationships with other Christians who can shepherd us along. Unfortunately, though, I think they're hard to find. I did my best. You know, I I tried my hardest to figure it out myself. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that, nor do I think God himself really dropped into my mind the things that really ended up helping me. I think his model is really through the church, ideally, Mm -hmm. through older men and women who are maybe not necessarily older age-wise, maybe just older in terms of experience and and just have suffered themselves. A lot of this you can't understand unless you've suffered. Yeah. I don't think you can. And we all suffer. I mean, I don't want anyone to think that, wow, well, me and Darcy, we're the ultimate sufferers, <laughs> you know, because we're not. Yeah. But that's kind of the gateway in a way, I think. And that's, at least in my experience, how he's taught me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of when you start a new job and you go through training, they can do their best to teach you all the things But it's not until you're actually in there doing it that you really get it. Things that you learn in training suddenly click in a different way. Things that you thought you had mastered in training, you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. And there's this period of time that can be a struggle. I think that's why there's sometimes wisdom when somebody starts a job and then they shadow under someone else that is actually doing that job. And that can actually communicate things that a manual couldn't, Mm -hmm. can actually get into the nuance. Well, this is why we do it that way. Or, yeah, I understand what this says, but I want you to understand the heart of this. So I think you're right. You know, we can read all the books about how to be a good caregiver, how to navigate suffering. But when you're in the presence of someone who has lived through that, there's something deeper that comes through that. And this is why we have passages like comfort others with the comfort that you've received. Mm. You know, I've gotten to witness that through Darcy sharing her story. And then Melinda, who is a recent guest, she ends up leaving a voicemail about how much that encouraged her because she's going through tremendous health struggles. And now she has been a guest. And then her story is going to encourage others. It's just a beautiful thing because somebody can hear all this and say, well, if God was a good God, why doesn't he just fix everything so that Mark didn't have to be a caregiver? But again, we're talking about a perspective shift that God cares more about the eternal full life that he's building for us than these short-lived, tiny blade of grass withering lives that we are very focused on. And it's not that he's causing the suffering or anything like that. He knows how to invite us to him. And he's longing for us to accept that invitation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's what I love. And even what you've shared 
that's the sense that I've gotten is there have been many hard moments over the decades, but you can recognize now God's presence from the start in the midst. And now you have a deeper sense of what it means to accept that invitation, to walk with him, to walk towards him. And, and this is a question that I wrote down early on that I was like, I want to make sure I ask this. You're not just a caregiver to just some person. You are serving in that role as a caregiver to someone that you are now one with. Yeah. <laughs> so how, when she is working through her own challenges and her own hardships and her own questions, and then you are working through your challenges and your hardships, how do you two find unity in the midst? Yeah, there has to be a lot of space in a good way mm -hmm. to see that each of us have a different challenge. You're right. I mean, we are one, so it's the same situation, mm -hmm. but the challenges are very different. For example, I mean, for her, it's not optional. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she can't get away from it. It's there no matter what she does. That's a very unique and overwhelming challenge. It's not my challenge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because there's all sorts of ways I can avoid the situation, yeah. you know? So I have to find strength to engage with something I often don't want to engage with. She has to find strength to engage with something that just never, never leaves her alone. Yeah. And so I think we both have to honor each other's different arena of struggle. Mm -hmm. But God uses that in a good way. You know, I mean, there's times where I've just checked out, mm -hmm. you know, my way of checking out is kind of just disconnect emotionally mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll still go through the motions, but I'm just not there. Yeah. <laughs> the way God uses that is he puts her in a space where I can't solve her problem. Mm -hmm. Only he can, you know, I'm not there as much as I want to be. So now he's the only one that can really walk with her where she is, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Yeah. And has really helped her and has been a real deep source of maturity, I think, for her. Mm -hmm. She's come to the same conclusion I have in a different way, that no one on earth can really meet that need of being wanted and needed like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so when I fail, now it's just her and him, yeah. you know? Yeah. We've been, I think, pretty gracious with each other in that sense. I sense sometimes she's just at the end of her rope and has nothing left. And I have to accept that and vice versa. It makes me think of that classic Christian marriage visual of the triangle. At the bottom two angles, you have the two spouses. And then at the top, you have God. And the idea that the more that those two bottom angles draw closer to that top angle of God, the closer that those two angles become to each other. And I think there's a lot of truth in that and what you just shared that when you're operating just in and of yourselves or expecting the other person to fill those needs, that distance can become very heavy. Yeah. <laughs> but as you grow in understanding what it means to seek God and to draw close to God, it actually gives you both the capacity to more easily be connected together because that distance that you are putting all this pressure and weight on the other, it, it diminishes and suddenly you're able to connect in that space. And it's interesting. It seems counterintuitive what you shared that, well, in a way we almost have to pull back and understand our different situations. Mm -hmm. But I love that added into that was also drawing close to God. Yeah. And then now here y'all are <laughs> able to be closer together also because in that process, you have to release a lot of things. It's almost like those angles are being held down by weights 
weights of my expectations for what this marriage should look like and weights of what I want and what I need and weights of, I need her to show me the appreciation I deserve and all these things. You release those weights and suddenly what was held down can lift up and be drawn together. Mm -hmm. How have you seen those moments of being drawn together play out in your marriage? It has, despite how hard it's been, it has really bonded us. Mm really bonded us. Difficult experiences bond everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think of a night where her pain was so extreme. I mean, she was just writhing on the bed mm-hmm. and nothing was helping and it had gone on for hours. And so, yeah, it was the only time we've ever actually gone to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, we don't admit people for pain. There's nothing we can do. And staying here really isn't an option because that's not what we do. We're not, it's just not our function. We begged them to admit her. Mm -hmm. So the doctor said, I'll go talk to my supervisor and close the door. I think it was Darcy's idea. She said, can we just sing? And so we just sat there in our little private emergency room and just sang some hymns together. Doctor came in, said, well, we've decided to admit you. And there were tears in her eyes. Yeah. I think something happened really, really deep for the two of us sharing just this sacred moment of despair, but sharing it together. Yeah. Both of us just at the end of our ropes, no hope. And God provided there, but I don't think it's my job to make it sound like he'll always do that. Yeah, because I don't think he will always do that. Yeah, and I think there's just levels of faith and perseverance and trust that go beyond that. And so that day that happened, I don't want to be heard as promising something like that. Mm-hmm. And there may come a day where he calls us beyond that point. It's hard to describe how unifying it is to share such horrible reality. Yeah, but to do it not just together, but also with Christ with God, it's a really amazing experience for us. Yeah. And that's one of those important perspective shifts, right? Is our human logic says that the harder the situation, the more that it takes from us, the more likely that we are just going to have to cut ties and call it. Uh And what you're saying is, well, actually in God's reality, he can use hardship to draw you closer together. And this is something that really stood out to me when Darcy was a guest Because after we had stopped recording, one of the things that she had shared was that as much as she would love to have the mobility that she used to have, she recognizes that she has grown closer to God in the suffering Mm -hmm. than she ever had outside of that. And so she was grateful for it. And so it's these counterintuitive things, (laughs) these ways that don't make sense to us. And yet we're invited not just to walk into it, but to walk into it before we understand. You know, I, I believe... Now help me in my unbelief. I hear you saying that we could be drawn together as a couple in the midst of this. I hear you saying that suffering can actually draw me closer to you. So I hear you and I believe, help me in my unbelief, God, as I step forward. Yeah. Imagine that there's somebody listening that's in that caregiver role Mm -hmm. and they are just at the end of themselves. Maybe they've been doing this for years and they are frustrated or drained. Maybe they feel like, They just don't have the capacity or desire anymore. What would you say to that person that is sitting in that space? You know, I would honor their situation. 
I think I would look at it as, again, that word just keeps coming to mind, a, a very sacred place. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't judge them in that place. I wouldn't want them to feel that anyone should condemn them if they fail in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's such a personal thing and everyone is so different. It's kind of hard to make a statement about it, but God is there. You know, the father is watching. He sees it. Jesus experienced it and knows exactly how it feels. They are right there. That's, I think it, you know, I mean, I've been at that point and withdrawn, disconnected at that point. Mm -hmm. I know some people have indulged in things at that point that they really regret. And I don't condemn that. Mm -hmm. I get it. I I don't condone it. Mm -hmm. I, I would hope they could find someone who's experienced that, I guess, and share just that reality with them. I don't know. It's hard to speak into that because it's such a deep moment in someone's life. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And it's nuanced. And sometimes the answer isn't for there to be an answer, (laughs) you know, but I I love what I've heard often when people answer this type of question is there is this recurring theme of you're not alone. And that is something that it's very easy to feel in that space. Yeah, No one knows what I'm going through. There's no one I could be fully honest with because if I really share what I'm thinking, it's going to make my spouse look bad. Or even if I explained it, they couldn't understand Mm. the depth of what this actually means. And so I feel alone. And then you bring into the element of what you talked about earlier of this thread from youth of feeling unwanted. And man, that can just be really spotlighted in these moments, Mm -hmm. not just with the spouse, but with friends. You mentioned there were people that were a part of your life, then things got hard and they're like sneak into the back door and you could just feel so alone and so unwanted. But that has been the theme that has come up over and over and over is you may feel like that, but it's not true. Mm -hmm. You're actually not alone. You're not alone in your experience, but you're also God is actually with you even when he feels distant. And so I think even that is such a valuable truth that in saying it, it doesn't mean that the person hearing it's gonna be like, oh, you're right, great, I feel good now, thanks. But it plants a seed. And when they know that someone like you, who's not just some random guy who was thinking about a question and got his thoughts and wrote them down and shared them, you're sharing from experience from years and years and years of living it out and humbly acknowledging I didn't get it all right all the time or I still don't always get it right. They can have that planted seed and know the source from which it's coming. And at some point, they'll recognize that the source is actually not you. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just a conduit of what God has given you, yeah. you know, comfort with the comfort you've received. And one day that little seed sprouts, mm-hmm. even just a tiny bit, mm-hmm. but that's something important. Appreciate you sharing that. And one way I like to close out, it's kind of like a catch-all in case there's something that God's prompting that we missed. Is there anything else in your heart that you feel like God's inviting you to share? No, nothing's really coming to mind. You know, you've asked really good questions and things have popped into my head along the way. I think the spirit whispered to me. So I feel like we've talked about some really important things today and I appreciate the opportunity to share the perspective that I have on it. Let's talk about the greatest caregiver ever, Jesus. Philippians 2 paints this picture of someone who could have removed himself from the suffering of the world and yet chose to humble himself, taking the form of a servant. And throughout his life, 
he cared for others in a myriad of ways, from walking alongside them, to healing them, to freeing them from demonic spirits. Jesus was who so many people pursued when they were in hard situations. Jesus was who people called for when their loved one was sick or dying. And Jesus, filled with compassion, continued to show up. We also get glimpses in Scripture of times when Jesus needed to rest, when Jesus needed to slip away, because caregiving, as Mark shared, can be difficult. However, no matter how hard it gets, if we're claiming to follow Jesus, then we need to follow his words. He says this in John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus invites us to love as he loved. And as we were just talking about, his love was robust. And this idea of laying down your life for your friends We see this throughout Mark's story. I love Mark's transparency when he said that while Darcy can't choose to escape her suffering, Mark could. Mark didn't have to stay at the table. And in choosing to do so, it cost him something. Mark's humility continued, though, in that he made it clear that this was not about him being a great caregiver. It was actually God's capacity, not his, that brought the care. And we need to be honest about this point. Because we can read verses like 12 and say, oh yeah, no, I'm all about love and I want to love others. But when we are in those hard, hard situations, love can be difficult. It can be difficult to love. In fact, I dare say it could be impossible by our own capacity. And this is why scripture is so important in context. Because when Jesus gives this command, he's not just throwing it out to his disciples and expecting them to do it on his own. How do we know this? We just have to go back up to verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing nothing. He goes on to say, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And again, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Mark, among many others, has pointed out how often I use the word invitation, but it is so fitting here. Jesus is giving us an invitation to love, but it is more than that. It's not just our understanding of love, but his demonstration of love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that's beyond our capacity. But when we abide in him, when we abide in his love, That's where the fruit happens. So if you are in that position of being a caregiver, I want you to know, as Mark pointed out, that it's okay when you are frustrated. It's okay when it feels beyond your capacity because you were never actually expected to do it all on your own. The invitation here is not just to love, 
but to abide in Jesus' love. Jesus loves you deeply. Jesus loves that other person more than you ever will, but Jesus also loves you deeply. Jesus sees you in the midst because he knows what it is like to give of oneself. He knows what it's like to have to meet someone's needs at the expense of their own. He knows what you are going through because he has been there and he is inviting you to walk with him, not to simply give of yourself, but to give yourself to him because in that you will find fullness. As he puts it, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The invitation to caregiving is an invitation to Jesus' love. If you are currently caring for another and the weight seems too much, abide in Jesus' love. What that looks like for you can be as simple as sitting in silence and saying, God, here I am. It could look like spending time in prayer or exploring the word, looking up verses on Jesus' love. It can take a lot of forms and it doesn't have to be perfect. It simply has to be a movement toward accepting that invitation. A simple little step. And what you will find, as Mark shared, is Jesus' capacity far extends your own. And Jesus' capacity has been made available for you. You are loved. And abiding in that love can allow you to love others in ways you never could have imagined. So make space to abide in Jesus' love today. And then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the person who doesn't want to read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, where you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. 
And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?